Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're tuning into another episode of 20 Tim Minutes. I am your host, Tim McCarthy. Today, we have on host of the podcast, the Sticky Eddie podcast, Chelsea Pegues. How are you, my friend? I'm good, and you said it perfectly, so we're all gravy, baby. I'm I'm one for O on that, so that's good. <laughs> I'm high on my rock, paper, scissor yeah. destination. Yeah, everyone go watch that. She's Spoiler smoked. alert. Yeah, she absolutely <laughs> smokes me. So Chelsea and me are pretty good friends through the podcasting community, so I'm very happy to have you on, Chelsea. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. I'm so excited. Big fan of the show. So I'm going to ask you this. What does mental health mean to you? Oh, such a loaded question. Um, Mental health means to me finding your happy space, surrounding yourself with things that truly bring you joy. For me, it's just being fully immersed in nature as much as possible. Um, and being around my son and my husband, they make me laugh um, and they keep me grounded and away from all the outside noise. And so that's it for me, just really finding what keeps you grounded and brings you joy. What do you like to do in nature? Um, I love to hike. I love to rock climb. I'm big on kayaking, canoeing, anything that makes me very Paul Bunyan-esque. That's me. Chopping down trees and stuff? Chopping left and right. There's like barely any forests near where I am because I'm just swinging axes all over the place. I commend you on the rock climbing. That's not easy. It's very scary. I'm very new at it. I'm definitely a novice, but I have friends that are intermediate and above and uh, they help me out. I'm working on that hip mobility. You got to yeah. <laughs> you gotta really lift your legs and, and find that sweet spot. So yeah, I've, I've gotten stuck in a couple of crevices. You'll be able to win that game at the carnival where it tells you you got to climb up the rock thing and hit the button and you win like a big stuffed animal. So, so much good. pressure. So much pressure though. The whole crowd's going to be <laughs> cheering you on. Um, so obviously you're a podcaster like myself, the Sticky Eddie podcast. What is that about? And can you explain why there is two eyes in it? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for asking. Um, So the Sticky Eddie podcast came about after I lost my dad to alcohol use disorder in December 2020. Uh, I found out that he had passed away two days before Christmas. So that kind of put a damper on things. Um, (laughs) But so the Sticky Eddie podcast kind of investigates the full spectrum of substance abuse um, and other modes of addiction And we work to educate ourselves and our listeners. And I especially like to focus on adult children of addiction and see how that has impacted their lives and where they are today and how they feel about substance use. Um, So yeah, we run the full spectrum. We also talk a little bit about mental health and it's been a good learning experience for sure. Now, why the two eyes? Oh, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Two pata, and I forgot. Um, So my dad actually was a drummer. Uh, He was a blues and soul musician, and he was an amazing drummer. But he used the stage name Sticky to represent the two drumsticks. And he had business cards that said Sticky Eddie on them. Uh, And so when he passed away, I happened to find a few of them with the two little drumsticks in his logo. And I was like, oh, man, it's... It's got to be. Perfect. Tell me about your dad a little bit. What was he like? 
coolest guy in the world. I I think, and it's funny because I listen to you. Know I'm a big fan of your show. I listen Thank to you, you every week, and um, I wish that my dad had gotten to listen to you too because I think he would have been on the floor. He was a huge Bill Burr fan. Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> so I think he would have loved you. And we also used to love uh, Ron White back in the day. Seen him live. Yeah, me too. A couple of times. He's amazing. Um, but my dad was the coolest guy in the world. He was so charismatic and kind, a very dry, sarcastic sense of humor, um, tall and handsome, had like that little Clint Eastwood kind of squint to yeah. him, um, taught me everything I know about cars and music and um, and started taking me hiking before I could even walk. He used to like wear one of those little like kid backpacks, like a, <laughs> like a real cool person. <laughs> um, but unfortunately... He just had demons that he couldn't quite escape from. And being a musician, unfortunately, sometimes substance and, you know, uh, showmanship go hand in hand. So you're gigging and you're out at all these clubs and bars and alcohol is so easily accessible. And you like how it feels when it numbs you from your pain. So it was just something he couldn't escape. Do you know how to play any instruments? I can play heart and soul on the piano really well. It's such a crowd pleaser. <laughs> That's my dad's drum behind me. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, I don't play. Unfortunately, I've tried a couple of different instruments. I can. I'm very rudimentary. I'm a writer. That's that's the artistic craft that was given to me. <laughs> so you could you could write music then. Sure. <laughs> I could write you a song. <laughs> Perfect. That's what I need. That's what I need. So he was dealing with addiction. When did you first realize it was an issue? Oh, from a really young age. Um, you know, it, it exacerbated a lot of pre-existing uh, problems in my parents' marriage. So they were constantly fighting about, you know, my mom was a little, I think, insecure about my dad being a musician in the first place. Um. And so they would fight about him playing all the time and the alcoholism. It, it never made him physically abusive, um, but it just turned him into a very obnoxious version of himself who was very hard to deal with and hard to talk to. Uh, and so my parents fought all the time when I was little. And I remember the first Christmas Eve that we moved into the house that I grew up in. I was eight years old. And my parents had a huge fight. And I remember the crescendo of that fight being, you know, my dad was like hysterical. My mom is hysterical. I'm sitting between them and I'm going like this. And I'm trying to say like, please just stop fighting. It's Christmas Eve. And my mom is like waving a knife in the air. And my dad, it it just turned into like craziness. Um, and so that's my earliest memory of them really, really fighting over his alcohol use and, and how it was starting to have a palpable effect on my family. How did it make you feel? Devastated. I mean, I loved my dad so much. Like I said in the beginning, naturally, he was such a charismatic and thoughtful person. And from the moment I was born, it was always like, He just wanted to do the best he could to instill good habits in me, good manners, and show me all different sorts of experiences. Um, He was my best friend, truly. So to watch him turn into a different version of himself, it was really hard. 
because if you've ever had to try to have a conversation with someone inebriated and you're trying to make points to them and they get aggressive with you or you can tell that they're just not listening or you're a child begging their parent, like, please stop this. Don't you love me enough to stop this? This is hurting you. It's detrimental to your health. And watching someone just keep going with their addiction, it's so hard. It's it's just, you carry the weight of your loved one's addiction on your shoulders as someone on the outside looking in. And it's really hard as a small child, you're not going to know about harm reduction or about any other methods of support. So I felt very isolated and alone because I didn't know anybody else who was going through this. Right. Um, you know, so yeah, it was just really hard to watch him suffer and not know why. Are you an only child? Yeah. Yeah. So I can imagine that being tough when you don't have like a sibling to rely on or anything. Exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, how, what is your relationship with like sobriety? Do you drink at all or no? So I'm actually almost eight months sober. Yeah, let's go. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, I. It's hard for me to answer this question. I'm still educating myself about this end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually just reading this morning on another account that we shouldn't always have to hit rock bottom before we reach for sobriety and maybe readjust our relationship with alcohol or any other substance. For me, it was just a matter of, I found it becoming too habitual um, because it was something that I had grown up around and and it was so normalized in my household. Mm -hmm. As an adult, you really, there are so many blurred lines. And after a while I was like, okay, I'm having a bottle of wine in the house, like every other day, that's too much, you know? Um, so I readjusted my relationship with alcohol and just decided I really don't need this. It doesn't add anything to my life. And I don't want my son to see it all the time. That's the biggest thing. That's great. I'm always, I'm always love gassing people up that go sober because I didn't have a drink for one full year and I think I felt the best in my life. Nice. You know what I mean? But I think there's a difference between obviously like drinking responsibly and abusing it, but like you seeing the flags, you going through it and realizing, yeah, you want to make sure you you set a good example for your son. I commend you for that. Thank you so much. Can I ask you why you stuck to the year and then like what happened that brought you back into it? I think the year I just wanted to see if I could do it. It was more like mm-hmm. a challenge. And I think I was trying to train a little bit more with jujitsu and like be in shape. I was like getting tried like a six pack. I was like looking good. Yeah. And then, then all of a sudden I was like, I think I went to like a wedding and then that was it. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I, guess I know. Back to that's the worst thing about drinking. I want to say is because it's so, it's just like, it's a part of like a thing. You can't go out without drinking. It's like, Oh, what do you want to do tonight? Like everything re- revolves around drinking. Yes. Right? It's like, Oh, do you want to go bowling? They have an open bar. Like, do you want to go this? We have to have a drink. But like, I'm one of my best friends is a hundred percent sober. Never done mm-hmm. anything. No drugs, no drinking. And I, wow. protect, I protect him like crazy. I'm like, don't offer him anything. Like, that's why, <laughs> I, that's why I'm always so supportive of my friends that don't want to drink because I think, it's not, it is hard in a way because it's like, you're trying to fight. Like you said, like you don't have to be rock bottom, but obviously you can hit those, um, those bumps in the road. So yeah. just to like have someone have that strength to do it. I don't want anyone to influence anybody on that. It's like, they're doing their own thing. Like, don't bother them. It's like, Oh, you're not drinking. What, what's up? Are you sober? It's like, don't even ask those questions. Yeah. It's like asking somebody, it's like, Oh, are you pregnant? It's like, why would you ask oh. them that? Like, just, just stop. <laughs> 
No, I agree. It's hard enough as it is without having to illustrate all the time why we're making this choice. I agree with you though. It is such a social lubricant. And I went to my cousin's wedding a couple of weeks ago and I, you know, I remained sober, but I have to say it was a huge trigger because you walk in and there's like a champagne wall and then you sit down at your table and there's like a glass of champagne for the toast. And then everybody says, Oh, it's bad luck to toast with water. And it's like, okay, but I'm going to anyway. So sorry. Um, you know, so it's things like that. We don't, I don't want to criminalize anybody who is in active addiction, or even if you're not addicted per se, I would never, the, the me that existed prior to losing my dad thought that addiction was ridiculous. I didn't understand the intricacies of it. And I didn't understand that oftentimes it is born out of poor mental health and some sort of past or childhood trauma. Um, I didn't understand smart recovery or methods of harm reduction And I didn't understand that some people do need to use certain substances in small amounts to remain functional and healthy. Um, And for some alcoholics or people who are um, experiencing alcohol use disorder, I should say, you need medication. You can't. I didn't even know before my dad passed away that alcohol is the only substance that you can die from if you detox on your own. I had no idea. Yep. And I learned that too, not too long ago. And I thought that was like, uh, like mind blowing. Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. Crazy. Now, what are some things people forget when dealing with someone with addiction? If you know anything, like what is like some signs that you're like, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I think again, the biggest thing is to try to consider why they're using the substance. Um, I will never know to this day what trauma my dad experienced that made him abuse alcohol. He wouldn't disclose that information. He would give very vague answers. So if you're dealing with someone who doesn't want to disclose maybe their past trauma, that's fine. Don't pressure them. But my best advice would be to seek support for yourself as someone who is, who is close to someone who is using Um, because you need that. You need to educate yourself and you need to also understand that it is not your fault that someone in active addiction is not going to stop using until they are prepared and ready. And again, they may not ever come to a full stop. They may depend on medically assisted treatment um, or small doses of whatever it is that they're using just to survive. And that's okay. Um, but it comes full circle back to good mental health support, having a good network of people around you and really digging into those resources of harm reduction. But remember that the person underneath all of this, the person that you love still exists. I don't think anybody is born and says like, Hey, well, I want to be addicted to something for the rest of my life. Right. I want to struggle. I want to have this impact my family and my relationships. And I want to be miserable and make people cry. That's not the goal. The underlying cause needs to be treated. And often the underlying cause is something horrible and traumatic that happened, or perhaps you were injured and were given an opioid that you shouldn't have been on in the first place. 
we just, we have to address the heart of the matter and stop judging people so harshly. Right. And a good circle is, is great. I, I had a, I was involved in an intervention for one of my friends and it was just, we had like a great group of together and it wasn't us like shunning him or anything like that. It was like really like opening up and I thought that was very difficult and I can only imagine how difficult it was for him on the other end, but mm -hmm. it was such like a good thing to have friends together to like help support. So I think that's a, that's a big one as well. Uh, great answer. Thank um, you. Now another one, uh, I feel like, I don't know if this is just me, but I feel like it's almost the same with this. So mental health and regular health, like you break your arm is the same as like you being not, nothing. Do you think that alcoholism is not as, um, on the same line as like a drug addiction? They're both addictions, but don't you feel like, like drug addiction is more like prioritized than alcoholism, even though that they're the same? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if I was explaining that. <laughs> no, I get you. I, it's so funny. Every time I listen to your podcast and, and you're like struggling to explain something, I'm like, no, Tim, you're fine. I get you. <laughs> I get Thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> um, yes, a hundred percent. I do because alcohol is not less dangerous than any other substance like heroin or opiate, you know, any other opioid. It's just normalized. Yeah. So normalized. You don't it's see commercials for like heroin, but you see ones for like beer and stuff, but it's again, addiction is addiction. Exactly. I'm, I might butcher this, um, but this, this quote came from the late author, David Posis. And he says in his book, alcohol is not less dangerous than any other substance. It is just that it's legal and more available. And so that's why people just don't consider it. Um, as much as they should. And then the other thing that really bothers me, especially as a mom, is the mommy wine culture. Yeah, yeah. Can't stand that. They have socks that you put your feet up and it says, if you can read this, bring me wine. Yep. Uh, you know, moms are going, they have those little, like, um, they look like water bottles, but they're actually flasks that you yep. take to like your kid's soccer game. And it's like, why are we imposing this? on such a vulnerable group as it is, because as a mom, you know, even if you have the best partner in the world, which I do, and we share everything equally, it's just, you're putting so much pressure on yourself as a mom. You'll always feel like you're the worst person in the world. You're making all these mistakes, you're fucking that kid up left and right. I guarantee you, you are, but it's not in the ways that you think and they will be okay. But wine is touted as this like lubricant to make everything better. Yeah. I don't want to die for my child. You know what I mean? I want to live for my child and I something. So it shouldn't, again, I'm not here to criminalize anybody or judge anybody harshly, but you know, cause there are people that can enjoy a couple of drinks and be fine and knock it off for weeks or months on end. And it's not a problem for them. And to that, I say, huzzah, like good for you. Right. But, um, you know, it shouldn't be pushed as hard as it is. And it, and unfortunately it's just out there, but no, it is not any less dangerous than heroin or, you know, any other opioid out there. Right. And, uh, it's not funny, but it's like, in a sense, it's like they set, they sell you commercials for alcohol, which is like legit poison. Like yeah. drinking yes. poison, but like, oh, do it with this flavor. And there's only yeah. so many carbs. Drink that mango ethanol. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> no problem. Uh, we put Your little, liver won't have holes in it. Like. No, put a little <laughs> orange slice and you're rubbing alcohol. It's totally fine. 
And they're beautiful. These drinks are pretty. They're packaged so nicely. You know, they're given away as party favors and treats. And, you know, I mean, I work um, for essentially a college and alcohol is just given out to students, you know, at social functions. And it's like, again, it's just this social lubricant that really isn't that necessary. I want to know you for you. I don't really want to know the, Hey God, yeah, right, right. that side of you. That's not really you. Yeah. Talking to somebody at a wedding when you're sober <laughs> is, uh, is very tough. It's funny. It's funny, but it's sad. <laughs> Uh, they come up with just ridiculous ideas for you. It's like, hey man, we should like make up like a uh, a restaurant together. You're like, oh okay, talk to surely, surely. Talk to my son. He wants to start. He's eight. He wants to start a pizza ice cream restaurant. I'm there. I'm so pizza right. is made of ice cream. Pizza ice cream. I'm in. Pizza ice cream. <laughs> I'm a hundred percent. So with the loss of your dad, obviously it comes with grief. How do you deal with grief? You don't. <laughs> That's the short answer. Yeah. Um, grief is ever changing, ever evolving. It is the nastiest beast in the world. I don't, you know, I mean, everyone will experience some sort of grief at some point in their life because, spoiler alert, no one gets out of here alive. Um, but premature grief is how I like to put it. It's when you lose your person. Um, and you're just not prepared. I mean, when my dad passed away, I was so angry at him. Um, you know, he was going through cycles of sobriety and then falling off the wagon again. And, you know, it was mid 2020 and it was, everything was a mess when we realized that we probably wouldn't be able to have Thanksgiving together for safety. You know, um, it just threw him over the edge and he was really close with my son and my husband and not being able to see all of us just isolated him. He lived alone and and it really bummed him out. Um, but he was so far gone into his abuse that even small amounts were really affecting him in insane ways. Um, you know, he had a small stroke at one point he started to hallucinate. It was bananas So by the time December rolled around, I was just so angry at him because again, I wasn't educated enough. So I didn't really know how to help him appropriately. I was just judging and keeping a distance from him. And the last time we spoke, I was very brief and very curt. I did tell him that I loved him, but it was kind of like, all right, I love you. I got to go, you know, like very passive. Um, and he, I love you too, kiddo. And I could tell he was sad, but I was just not feeling it. Yeah. Um, and that was the last time we spoke. So dealing with grief for me is a lot of anger management, a lot of therapy, um, a lot of talking to my dad. You know, I go for runs every morning while the sun is rising. and. I talk to him constantly. I ask him for signs. Um, I'm definitely in therapy, like 10 ways to Sunday. (laughs) Um, I look for grief support groups online, but it's not linear. You know, like when I first started the podcast, I was all gung ho and I'm like, yeah, I got this. I'm going to be an advocate. It's going to be great. I'm going to learn and I'm going to help people. And I had so much energy. Yeah. And then like six months in, I just 
crashed. Yeah, I know. I know know you know how that goes. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I am holding everybody else's pain and I can't, you know, like I just miss my dad. Maybe in the beginning, I thought that talking about him constantly would like bring him back somehow. I don't know. But a year into my grieving process, I think it takes a full year for you to really understand that that person is gone and they aren't coming back. Um, And it's, it's like you come out of the shock a little bit. And I think that's when the true recognition begins. Um, so now I just take it a day at a, at a time. And if I feel like crying, I cry. If I feel like screaming, I go and I lock myself in my car and I just scream. Um, dealing with grief for me means just letting it out however I need to in that moment. Because pretending that it's not there and pretending that you're okay, not going to work. That that's powerful words because that is that is very true. Yeah. Um, what kept you going though? So <laughs> the first, uh, I think it took me about three months. So the first three months, I did nothing but cry take like hour long bubble baths and listen to the podcast. Terrible. Thanks for asking because listening to other people's horrific stories just made me feel like I wasn't alone and that I was going to be okay. Um, I quite literally ran myself into the ground. I was running so much that I ended up with what's called neuropathy where my whole like bottom half is just numb. So, (laughs) So I needed to chill out. Um, And now what keeps me going is wanting to just keep my dad's memory alive and make sure that I'm doing better for myself and that I'm helping to be a part of the process of educating people, making sure that other people feel that they're not alone, um, and just making sure that people understand that those in active addiction are not criminals. And they need help and love. What other advice would you give somebody dealing with alcoholism on on either end? Again, um, for the person on the outside, like myself, the hardest thing for me was realizing that this is not something that can be helped until that person is ready. Mm -hmm. It's horrific. You know, I mean, like I said, I watched my dad have a small stroke. I watched him in the hospital and not be able to speak for, I think it was about three weeks before he regained his ability to walk and talk. Um, And it's really hard to watch your hero fall. So if I could go back in time, I would have sought out perhaps an AA meeting for myself Um, because that's a, you know, even if you don't align yourself with that whole process, there are some really good principles there for helping you cope with loving someone in active addiction. And it's also a good networking opportunity to meet other people who also might delve into smart recovery and other resources. So if you don't really know where to start, I would recommend that, um, start with an AA meeting and you can do them online and they're always available. Um, reading up about what it's like to be an adult child of an alcoholic, 
um, even just doing a quick Google search. And I have resources on my website as well. But just if I had had a better sense of education and what it means to be like, I imagine my dad felt like he was trapped in an hourglass and the addiction was just the sand rushing in and he couldn't really do anything to escape it. Um, for someone who is suffering in active addiction, if you're not ready to try methods of harm reduction just yet, if you don't feel safe and secure doing so, talk to someone that you trust in your inner circle. Start there. Maybe try to write down if you can't verbalize why it is that you feel you need the substance so much that you depend on it so harshly. Um, try writing it down. Getting your thoughts out will help you find the bigger picture of why it is that you might be struggling this way. And then break it down like a puzzle piece by piece. Try to find things that you're comfortable with. Overdose prevention sites are starting to pop up here in New York State. I'm not sure um, what that looks like state by state right now. Um, but there are definitely resources where you can go if you're in active addiction and talk to counselors and just say like, hey, I'm definitely not ready to quit. But I'm also not ready to lose my loved ones. And I'm definitely not ready to die. Like, what do I do? Right. So talking to professionals and just being as open and honest as possible about your level of addiction will help you tremendously. What would your dad be most proud of you about? <sighs> Don't make me cry, Tim. I've made it this far. <laughs> I'm really holding on. By like <laughs> um, I He knows how much I hate public speaking. So I think he'd be really impressed that I run a podcast. Oh, you do real well talking. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think he would just be proud of me for putting myself out there and using my love for him to do better and to spread awareness about how to treat people that you care about. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually looking at his glasses right now. I have them sitting next to me on my little desk. And, uh, I think that's what he'd be most proud of. I think he would just be impressed that I'm trying to do better for other people. Does that the same go for you for how proud you are of yourself? <sighs> Am I proud of myself? <laughs> should be. <laughs> um, I'm an anxious, nervous wreck all the time. I never think I'm doing a good job. Maybe that's why I understand you so clearly. Yeah, yeah. We're the same people. <laughs> <laughs> because sometimes when you say things, you, I either think something and then you'll say it or you'll be struggling to like get your words out. I'm like, no, I totally get you. Yeah. Um, I'm not essential. Like, I'm not really like, oh, I'm doing such a good job. Right, I right. Just, I feel like I'm such small potatoes and I'm just one drop in the ocean trying to get the word out and let you know that I'm here and I care. Right. Yeah. That, that's probably the hottest question I gave you. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I That's the question that I rambled the least on. <laughs> what, uh, what's your goal in life and with the podcast? <sighs> um, I've been actually thinking about going back to school, which terrifies me because I hate school. And I actually just finished with my bachelor's in 2021. Um, so I'm thinking about going and getting a master's and trying to become an addiction counselor and make things full circle 
um, and just really officially professionally trying to make my mark. Um, so that's my goal. Whoops. My little ring light went off. Sorry about that. That's all right. Um, and then with the podcast, again, I would just like to be less, um, I would just really like to be a bigger part of the community. You know, I, I'm not in it for fame and fortune. Obviously, we're podcasters. None of us are in this for, you know, right, right. it. Um, but you're listening to your show helps me tremendously every week. And I would just like to do the same for other people. So I want to just grow enough to where, you know, I can really be a valuable resource. I don't want any other eight-year-old little girl sitting on the kitchen floor of her house crying hysterically, watching her parents like almost kill each other because one is drunk and one's exhausted, you know, like I don't want that for any other child. And that's what I would like to prevent if I could. You're going to get your child into music or what? He has a banjo. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) And he loves Johnny Cash and Otis Redding. And we're big Stevie Ray Vaughan fans in this house. And uh, my husband uh, produces music. So my son is well-versed in classic hip hop as well. So yeah. And he's been begging for piano lessons lately. So I think he'll do something. That's awesome. I'd like to see the uh, the lineage be passed down. Of music. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, there's so many musicians in my family. I don't know why that gene skipped me, but oh, well. <laughs> you're, the, you're the podcasting gene. There you go. <laughs> oh, speaking of music, what would be your theme song? What is Chelsea's oh, theme song? Oh, my God. Do you know, I just want to say, I was so excited to be interviewed by you. I've been thinking about this question for weeks, and I wanted it to be really cool. Okay. But I'm an emo girl on the All inside, right. for sure, as a child of, you know, the 80s and 90s. Yep. My fight song is Thank You for the Venom by My Chemical Romance. Okay, I know that song. I know. Yes, that. you should know that song. Right. If you want to kick someone in the face. <laughs> yeah. <you> know, <laughs> but I also want to mention, I batted the question to my husband, and I was like, what do you think yours would be? And he's like, first of all, calm down about this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, his would be um, Who We Be by DMX. Oh, that's a good one. Which is a good one. Yeah, DMX is, is good for everyone. What would your sons be? <laughs> Something by Johnny Cash. Nice. Um, Jackson, probably, by Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash. I like Johnny Cash's song, but <laughs> I like Johnny Cash's version of Tom Petty's I Won't Back Down. Yes. That came out really good. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I always love her. I love Johnny Cash's Hurt. Oh, yeah. That's um, that's like epic. That's like one of the greatest covers of all time, I think. You know, I mean, maybe he wasn't the greatest person. <laughs> but, uh, man, his music, you know, I like to just try to focus on the musician. <laughs> yeah, same, same. It's, uh, everyone's got something. You're like, ah, it's, ah crap. Mm. <laughs> uh, what are three things that you're grateful for today? Definitely being here, hanging out with you, um, for sure. Because like I said, I got to tell you, your podcast is so helpful. And it makes me laugh and it gets me through some dark days, for sure. Uh, Second, the fact that I am able to go and immerse myself in nature whenever possible. You know, that I have the luxury and the freedom to go off hiking and climbing whenever I need to. 
um, and clear my mind. And third, but definitely not the smallest thing that I'm grateful for, my family, my husband and my son. I'm so thankful that I have those two knuckleheads in my life. They're just, they're the best. They support me and I really appreciate it. Awesome. Chelsea, where can everyone find you in the Sticky Eddie podcast? Uh, you can find the podcast on Instagram exclusively because I hate social media. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was like, you want to be with the community, you got to come to Twitter. I know. I have to really up my game, but it's so hard for me because I'm is. so shy. Um, Instagram, I am at the Sticky Eddie podcast. There are underscores in between each word. And don't forget about the two eyes and sticky. Um, you can find me online at stickyeddypodcast.com. Or I'm sorry, that's wrong. Stickyeddy.com. I do it every time. It's my own shit and I fuck it up every time. <laughs> well, the best part is it's going to be under the graphics on YouTube and it'll be in the show notes. So amazing. Watch and just click right away. You'll don't find me. You, yeah, don't listen to what you just said. Just forget about it and just click the links. <laughs> don't even listen to the interview because I just apparently <laughs> don't listen to me. <laughs> Chelsea with the Sticky Eddie podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me, Sam. That's another episode of 2010 Minutes. Let's break the stigma by cracking a smile. And we're clear. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are feeling suicidal, please dial 911.